Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, July 15th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Christine, Brooke, and Kristen. And we are doing another Authors of Color episode. It's been a little while since we've done one, and I try to do them at least a couple of times a year. And it's my first. It is. It's It's your first. My first one, too. First author of color episode yes you uh yeah that's true you have not done one neither of you yeah brooke has i have well obviously i have (laughs) (laughs) it'd be kind of weird if you didn't since you you know create them (laughs) (laughs) so brooke is going to start us off followed by christine me and Kristen will end the round. But first, we will have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is Legendborn, The Legendborn Cycle, book one by Tracy Dion. So our main character's name is Brie, and she has lost her mom. Her mom was killed in an accident, and she's grieving. She's having a really, really tough time. Her dad is trying to help her out, but it's just not sure where to turn. So she has an opportunity with her friend Alice to attend this fancy school for go-getter high schoolers. So she's 16 years old and she's accepted to the school. And at the school, pretty much her very first night there, she witnesses a magical attack. There's a flying demon that goes after somebody and is trying to swallow up the essence, you know, like human, um, human life force kind of thing. And she witnesses one of the students um, fighting with this demon. um, And the student realizes a Brie has witnessed it and tries to erase her memories by doing this it kind of wakens up her magical powers that she has no idea she has like her mom had lived her life kind of hiding from the magical world 
So Brie never knew anything about this. Like she doesn't even know it exists kind of thing. Because she's able to shrug off the um, memory spell, the, um, this student, his name is Selwyn, he um, kind of gets suspicious of her and starts following her around and trying to figure out like what, like what is wrong with her. Why is she able to do this? Because he worries that she's going to cause some problems. So Selwyn is in charge of making sure that this guy named Nick um, is kept safe. So Nick and Selwyn, they are part of a secret society called Legendborn, or, and they're also called Merlins. So what these, this secret society is made up of is a bunch of people who are descendants of King Arthur's knights. Oh. I know, eh? So <laughs> Brie decides that the only way that she's really going to find out more about, like, what happened to her mother, because when she learns that these there's this secret society called the Merlins. She realizes that she actually saw a Merlin at the hospital when her and her father were called there when her mom passed away. So she wants to get into the secret society and figure out like what happened to her mother because she doesn't believe that it was an accident. She believes that she was murdered. So she kind of gets Nick to... So Nick has kind of been ignoring this secret society, even though he is a very important person in the society, he's kind of shrugged off his duties. Like he has a reasons that I'm not going to give away for ignoring the society. And so she gets Nick to go back to the society and to agree to allow her to be his page. And as his page, she is going to enter this trial of a bunch of different competitions against other people, like other people's pages, in order to become his squire. And she says she's doing this, and like Nick knows she's doing this, but she's doing this only to get into the society. She doesn't really believe in anything to do with the society. As it goes along, we get to see some of the different trials that she has to go through. And at the same time, we're seeing how her grief of losing her mother is kind of ruling her life. I love the relationship that her and her father have. I love how he really, really tries to help her. And and I love how her her friend Alice, who is not magical, how she really, even though her and Brie have their problems at the start, she really, really steps up for her. So I'm going to leave it there. Um, this is Legendborn, Le- The Legendborn Cycle, book one, and it's by Tracy Dion. And actually, the second book comes out November 8th. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm looking yeah, forward to seeing where that. this goes. Yeah. Yeah, this has been on my radar for a little while. 
So my first book <clears throat> for tonight is The Kindest Lie is by Nancy Johnson. And the, the first line of the synopsis could draw you in if you are of a type, because it says, a promise could betray you. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that kind of gets you into it. But anyway, this book takes place in 2008. And we are we start in Chicago. And in 2008, it was it's right after the Obama uh, inauguration. So there's a real feeling, especially for the um, black people of really the whole United States, but in Chicago of like ushering in a new era of maybe a better time. Um, it was there was real excitement and that. I remember going through that and, it, and feeling it and it, it was pretty cool. And so in Chicago, we have Ruth. Um, and she's Ruth Tuttle. She's an she's an Ivory League. Uh, I mean, Ivory League. Wow. Yeah. No, I don't she's think so. <laughs> she's Ivy League educated. Uh, she's an engineer. And she's married to this really nice, also career uh, man. And he really wants to start a family. He is very into that. But Ruth is not real sure that she wants to do that or can do that. Because when she was a teenager... She got pregnant and her uh, her parents had her give the child up for adoption after it was born. And they had her promise them that she would not ever go looking into the past, that it was it would she would go forward. It would be behind her. And that that was it. It would it would it was done. But she starts to realize that she's not going to be able to go forward into this uh, family part of marriage, the, the having children and raising children with him part, unless she deals with how she feels about the past and deals with unresolved uh, stuff. So she goes home to her uh, hometown in Indiana and it's a manufacturing town. And when she gets there, she discovers that it's pretty, it's very different from what, her life is in Chicago and what she's used to. It's full of, of poverty. Unemployment is rampant. It's, it's, people are just really full of despair and it's a, a really hard place to be. And she starts to talk to people and dig into the past, try to find out connections of things that she's even forgotten and wants to get back in touch with. And she meets this young teenage white boy named Midnight, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and he's adrift. He doesn't have any, he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know a whole lot about where he's been. And he's just, he's looking and he, they latch onto each other and form the neatest relationship. It's funny. It's deep. It's, sometimes fraught with you know issues but it it really points out throughout the book that some of the differences between the black and white communities and uh, allows I think the book to do that really well so they embark on these kind of journeys together 
um, he sort of he wants to help her find out about her past and she wants to get to know him and try to figure out, you know, help him maybe figure out what his life might be about. And so it's just a, a really cool dynamic that they have. And just before they discover a really big burning secret that no one in her family or even in a lot of the town wants her to reveal uh, a very traumatic event happens that puts she and Midnight on a collision course that could really just sort of tear both of their lives apart and upend them. And that's that's what I'm going to say about that. But it really, uh, the book has a lot to show about the differences between how the black community and the white community live, how they look at life, how they looked at life in the Obama era. And it, it's just, I liked it. It was a, I, it was a great read. And um, once again, that is The Kindest Lie by Nancy Johnson. Wow, I think I want to read this. It sounds really good. Well, I heard this author speak um, oh. at the beginning of 2021. She was in conversation with Sadiqa Johnson for the release of The Yellow Wife. Ah. Um, okay. Gosh, was it 2021 or was it 2020? I can't remember. It was one of those whenever The Yellow Wife came out. I know years are hard for you, so, I, you know. Yeah, dates, dates are hard. Years yeah. are hard. Um, but they had a, a really, really insightful conversation um, about kind of both of their books and the ways that uh, things have changed for Black communities and, of course, the ways that they have stayed the same. Are we ready for some revolution? Yes. Let's have it. So since we're ready to talk about revolution, I am super excited to share this book with you all. This is The Final Strife, Ending Fire Trilogy, book one, by Sara El Arifi. This just came out at the end of June, so it's very, very new, and it's very, very worth your time. This is an epic fantasy, as I said, the first book in a trilogy. It takes a lot of its influence from Arabian uh, folklore. So this is set in a world where all we really know about is this place called the Empire. And in the Empire, people are separated by the color of their blood. So red, these are called the embers. This is the color of wealth, of privilege, of magic, of kind of the, the ruling class. Blue is the color of the working class um, and the poor. It is, they're called dusters. And these are the people who do sort of all of the, the menial tasks, um, not like, not like hard slave labor necessarily, but just kind of the, the regular, like everyday tasks that people need to do in order to keep, you know, the world running as it should. 
They are called dusters. They are educated up until the age of 10 when they are branded and then forced into one of four guilds where they will be assigned work. Clear, translucent blood is the color of slavery, of oppression. These are called the ghostings and they are the forgotten. They live in terrible, terrible conditions kind of underneath the city in these tunnels. Um, when they are born, their tongues are cut out and their hands are removed. They basically have no rights. So we follow three women in this book. We have Zyla, who is what they call one of the stolen. She was born in Ember, but kidnapped as a child and raised as a duster. It is the belief that the stolen will one day, there are 12 of them, and they will one day rise up and seize control of the empire from the embers and kind of allow the dusters to come into power. Anor is kind of Sila's counterpart. She is raised as an ember, but when the dusters came and stole 12 ember children, they replaced them with 12 duster children, and one of them is Anor. She lives as the daughter of one of the wardens who are the four rulers of the empire. She does not have a good relationship with her mother, and she really struggles to kind of figure out who she is and what is her place in this world, which is like violent and terrible. Hasa is one of the ghostings. She is a watcher. She's able to move around the city very easily. She gathers all kinds of information and communicates it through a form of sign language to people that need to know it. Um, she and Sila have been friends for some time, and they trade not only information, but also products, um, things that Sila needs to kind of keep herself afloat. A thing to know about Sila is that at the time we first meet her, she is addicted to what are called Jova seeds, and this is a drug that is um, very, very addictive and has caused her to have some permanent um, disabilities because of her body's reliance on it. These three eventually join forces through a series of circumstances that I'm not going to tell you about, and they begin to figure out how to make huge sweeping changes in the empire. Um, the, the description I'm giving is kind of simplistic only because I want everyone to pick this up, read it, get lost in its pages, and really understand all of the things that Arefi is, Ella Arefi is trying to do here. This is a novel about acceptance. Um, it's a novel where to be LBGTQ is just part of the norm. Um, they, they don't consider gender to be just like a male or female thing. They have kind of a, a gender like spectrum where people fall. And I really loved the inclusive nature um, of the work in this way. They all are dealing with, 
difficulties. Even Anor, who everyone thinks is this kind of, you know, pampered princess, um, has things that she's struggling with. And although I sometimes found Anor a little bit annoying, um, I eventually did really come to like her. The book ends on not quite a cliffhanger. You know, you feel kind of okay with where the author leaves things, but you're definitely ready for book two. And sadly, it won't be out for quite a while. If you're looking for something lush and descriptive and diverse with really cool magic and something that will give you a lot to think about, I highly, highly recommend you pick up The Final Strife Ending Fire Trilogy, book one by Sara L. Arefi. That sounds like something I want to check out. Oh, it does sound very interesting. So my first book tonight is um, kind of a coming of age story a little bit. Um, so this is The Summer I Turned Pretty, Summer Number One by Jenny Han. And this book... Um, obviously takes place in summer and is about Isabel they call her belly and I really don't like that I don't know why (laughs) um but um belly in the beginning is 15 she'll turn 16 this summer but she loves summertime and it's because her and her family, her brother, her mom, um, have always spent summers with their friends at cousins beach. And she kind of measures her life in summers. Wintertime is just waiting for summer. Um, And being able to go to the beach and just have fun. And her mom's best friend since I want to say college is who they they spend their summers with. Her name is Susanna. And um, she has two boys, Jeremiah and Conrad. And then Belly has a brother named Stephen. And they all the boys are kind of closer in age than, um, than Isabel is to them. She's, she's definitely younger than all of them. I can't remember by how many years, I think it's like two or three years. So anyway, um, she's 15 when we meet her and she's super excited about this summer, but belly has kind of blossomed now and you know she's becoming a young woman she's starting to look like a young woman and when she gets to the beach um Conrad and Jeremiah are just like whoa um they're a little dumbfounded by the way Isabel has grown up and um this summer is going to turn into a really wild ride because Belly has always kind of crushed on Conrad. Conrad has always included her in things and taken more notice of her. 
than Jeremiah or Steven do during the summer. Um, he's always the one that's let her tag along when the other two haven't wanted her to and things of that nature. And so her and Conrad have always been a little closer, but, and she's always crushed on him, but Conrad seems to be very different this summer. He is a little standoffish. He's quit football. There's a lot going on beneath Conrad's surface and Belly can't seem to understand it or get through to him. Um, and so she gets a little confused on her emotions, her feelings where Conrad is concerned. And so there's a lot of back and forth between, do I feel something for Conrad? Is it maybe Jeremiah that I like? Or what about this other guy that I just met this summer? You know, and it, it's, it's teenage angst, I guess. Um, but is this is so well done. Um, like there's, there's definitely the coming of age. There's the uncertainty of finding herself and being who she is now and, um, learning, um, how to handle this new her and, and and also navigate the fact that these boys are becoming young strapping men that she's not really sure what to feel about anymore. Um, and I'm talking about Jeremiah and Conrad, obviously, because let's just hope it's not her brother. <laughs> so anyway, Ooh. yeah, it, it's definitely not. But um she just, when it comes to Conrad and Jeremiah, she's very confused for a while. And so um, this is a trilogy. Um, I have not read the second book yet. I do also want to say that it is an Amazon Prime show now. Um, I have watched oh, that's it. right. I have watched the first season and it is done really, really well. Um. Um, there is there is uh, mention of cancer in this series. Um, there's a lot of emotion where that is concerned as well. Um, but overall, the, this is such a good story. It's a beautiful coming of age story. And I can't wait to see where it goes when I get to the next books. So this, again, is The Summer I Turned Pretty, Summer Number One by Jenny Han. So many people love this. I have not read it yet, but it's like been super popular for a lot of years now. So my next book this evening is Counterfeit by Kirsten Chen. So our main character's name is Ava, and Ava is having a bit of a rough time. She's like trained to be a lawyer. She has a successful surgeon husband. She's got an adorable toddler who is having a bit of a rough time himself, um, and things just aren't going the way that Ava would like. In walks her friend from college named Winnie. 
And Bunny would like Ava to do something for her. So when Ava, like when we start the book, Ava is waiting for Winnie at a coffee shop and Winnie walks into this coffee shop and she's got like designer clothes on and she's got this really expensive bag and Ava's, she's impressed because back when her and Winnie were in college, Winnie had to leave, leave after the first year. So Ava's never really known what happened to Winnie. So it's been about 20 years. So Winnie would like Ava to help her with her counterfeit scheme that she has going on. She would like somebody who has a passport, an American passport, to help bring her counterfeit bags to the U.S. So what they do is... That's a good idea. Yeah. So part of the scheme is they have different women go into these fancy stores and buy these really, really obscenely expensive bags. So you get a glimpse into the whole idea of a fashionable fashion and how some bags are so crazy expensive and you kind of get to see like that card, that side of things. So as I said, they get these women to buy these bags and then they take them off and then they have these counterfeit bags that look identical. And what they do is they get these women to then go and exchange, like take back these counterfeits to these stores where they bought the originals and then they get the money. So what she wants Ava to do is to go to, I think it's China. I think it's China. Go to somewhere in the um, East Asia and go and meet with these business people. Ava's background is like tax law. So she wants her to go and take care of the different contracts and look into what's what and stuff like that. And it's kind of Winnie's way of getting her into the whole scheme. So Ava has no idea really what she's getting into. She kind of like accidentally gets involved. She knows that Winnie's up to something. She doesn't realize how bad it is. So things go wrong as the scheme goes along and Winnie disappears. So in the beginning of the book, Ava is talking to this police officer. And so the book's kind of done and told in a first person. So it's kind of funny because it's almost like she's having conversation with the police officer and she'll be like, oh, and you wondering like, how did I get roped into this, sir? well, let me tell you. And then you get the Mm. stories. And so it's interesting to see like kind of the backwards way of how she got roped into it. But then you also kind of wonder if maybe Ava might be playing things up a bit. Um, We also get to see where Winnie is hiding and we get to see interactions between her and Ava while this scheme is going on as well. I loved the way that we were able to learn 
stuff about the whole counterfeit schemes that do go on. Um, we did see how there's cheaper labor and how these cheaper labor factories, how they work in China. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's sad, but I did find it interesting because I didn't really know, like I know about it, but I don't know a lot about it. So I'm going to leave it there because I don't want to give it away. And it's not a really long book. So if you want something that's a little bit different and that you'll learn about counterfeit stuff, then check out Counterfeit by Kirsten Chen. And then, you know, if anyone ever, um, you know, tries to get you to, to do this, um, you'll know all the reasons why you shouldn't. Exactly. So instead of doing any of those things, I'll talk about a book. <laughs> that, that's a much better thing to do. It's not illegal. Yeah. It's not unethical. No. So my next book is Like a Sister by Kelly Garrett. Oh, have you read this? I have. Oh, okay. I like this book. Yeah, I did too. But, um, so we, it is, it is about two sisters. Um, but one of them we learn about posthumously, really, um, through the other one. And um, because at the, when the book starts, um, we, uh, she's already, she's been murdered. Uh, one of these sisters. So the one that we follow is Lena Scott. And Lena Scott is very straight-laced. She's kind of nerdy. She's got her goals and and uh she just there's she would never do a lot of things. And her sister would. Like they haven't even spoken for two years because she just doesn't approve of the choices that her sister has made um, doesn't approve of the drugs doesn't approve of all kinds of things and she's sort of a her sister is a disgraced uh, like star she sees some um, and her father their father they share a father he's like a some kind of a music mogul he's like really famous and and really he has a lot more to do uh with um Desiree than he does with Lena because he got Lena's mother pregnant on one night stand and then that's pretty much that's that's the part he played they they have very little to, to do with each other and she sort of blames him for all a lot that went wrong Lena blames him for a lot that went wrong with Desiree so she is found Desiree is found in the Bronx, um, in a Bronx playground, the, the morning after her 25th birthday. And there are needle marks on her body. And the police are pretty content to just say, well, it was an overdose. You know, she's had trouble with drugs and she's a troubled person. And that's what it is. It's an accidental kind of thing. But Lena doesn't like that at all because she knows certain things about her sister haven't changed, even though they've been estranged for a couple of years. She knows that she wouldn't go above 125th street, which is 
where she was found in this playground. And she doesn't like needles. And there are just a lot of things that she knows wouldn't happen. So she tries to talk to the police about this, but, you know, she's this uh, black woman who's kind of, you know, been like she's a little hysterical sometimes because it's her sister. And she's also feeling a lot of guilt that kind of, I'm sure, shows and and because she's feeling guilty that she hasn't been a part of her sister's life. And she's feeling like maybe she could have should have done something more to help out instead of just walking away. So she she goes through a lot of growth for herself through this because she realizes that she just was a little bit sort of uppity and goody two-shoes and just left her sister, kind of hung her out to dry. Um, so she um, she's she's also really good at this because she she's she's always kind of liked private detective kind of stuff and she's really good at nosing around and finding out what's going on she's very smart and she is going to get to the bottom of it but uh there's somebody who doesn't want this story the true story behind this death to come out so it's gonna get real dangerous for lena um as she goes through this so there's a lot like that goes on that i'm not gonna talk about because it's just giving it away but it's a really i liked the story a lot and i liked the the um way that lena sort of came into her to, uh, to a better self for her realizing that she made some mistakes and that just because people make bad choices doesn't mean that they're bad people and it doesn't mean that there there weren't reasons for those she gets she struggles with her father um too which is kind of cool because she just really had nothing to do with him but she wants to learn more about her sister and in order to do that she has to go to her father's you know, house and hang with him and get to know stuff because he was, you know, that's where her sister lived. Um, so it's cool to watch that relationship uh, get better too. And uh, so this is Like a Sister by Kelly Garrett. If you're trying to be to look looking this- for this. So my next book also takes place in New York, um, and this is actually a series. This is the Harlem Renaissance mystery series. Ooh. It starts with Dead, Dead Girls, and this is by Nikessa Afia. This is set in Harlem in 1926, and Ooh. our protagonist is Louise Lloyd. She is a Black woman working in a cafe during the day, and in this speakeasy called the Zodiac at night. So the cafe that she works at is called Maggie's. And one day when Louise is heading to work, she arrives to find a dead body in front of the cafe. 
And this stirs up a lot of memories for Louise, who has a very traumatic past. Um, Ten years ago, she was abducted and managed to escape, saving herself as well as a few other young women who were also abducted. But she hasn't really dealt with this. She's just sort of shoved it, you know, to the side and done her best to like move on. She hasn't really processed like how it felt and sort of what she had to do to get herself and these other women, you know, out of the situation. So now as she sees the body of a young black woman just sort of discarded outside this cafe, this brings up kind of a lot of old feelings and memories for her. And what she starts to realize is that there's a pattern of Black women being killed in various places around Harlem. Now, for reasons that I can't really tell you about, the police decide that either Louise can help them solve this crime or they can just arrest her for it. Like it's it's a choice that she has. I'm not sure that it's a very good choice, but it's a choice she has. And so she sort of unwillingly becomes a part of this investigation. Now, the police, you know, they can't go into a lot of these places that these women frequented. Like, you know, a lot of Black people are not going to talk to the police Um, They don't want to talk to the police now, and they didn't want to talk to the police in 1926. So Louise is sort of able to, you know, slip in and out of these places and gather information. Now, the other thing that you have to know about Louise is that she is a lesbian and has been involved in a secret long-term relationship with a woman named Rosa Maria. And the two of them really want to find a way to make a life together. But in 1926, like that's illegal. And so there's not really a good way for them to do that. Because of all of the trauma in Louise's past, it's in a lot of ways hard for her to be a good partner to Rosa Maria. Um, You know, she keeps a lot of secrets. She's got a lot of baggage that she just hasn't dealt with. And now that she's part of this murder investigation, that just kind of adds like fuel to this fire. So what I will say is that the, the mystery here is wrapped up at the end of the first book. Like, you know, who who is responsible for the murders of these young black women. But when you start the second book, which is Harlem Sunset, you realize that although this mystery is solved, there's still a lot more going on for Louise and Rosa Maria that is in some way linked to this investigation. So you will know like some things at the end of the first book, but if you really wanna know sort of the whole story, you have to pick up the second one as well. Um, I really liked the historical detail here. I love 1920s era fiction, um, like the whole speakeasy thing. And there's like, you know, mobsters running around. Um, I am my grandmother's granddaughter. She always tells me how much she loves gangsters. and Like the godfather is her favorite. Um, 
So this book um, worked really, really well for me. I also really enjoyed seeing a young Black woman who is not straight take a leading role in a historical novel. Um, Louise is definitely a complex character. You get to see a lot of growth for her throughout these two books. And I'm really anxious to see what the author has in store for her when the third book comes out, which hopefully will be next year. So if you're interested in this, please start with Dead Dead Girls, Harlem Renaissance Mysteries, book one by Nikessa Afia. I am interested in that. Yes. Me too. I am interested as well. So my second book tonight is called Witch Please. Yes. <laughs> um I like these books. I love the um the names of these books because they're all very um <sighs> punny for the lack of a better word. Um so you have Witch Please, Boss Witch, and then book 3 will come out in October. Ooh. And it's called Extra Witchy. So this is Witch Please, Fix It Witches number 1. <laughs> by Anne Aguirre and these are so fun um the description says says practical magic meets Gilmore Girls and <laughs> I, I could not agree more because this this is just these are so fun they they can be serious they can be funny um <clears throat> they can be very um heartfelt and just so well done. So book one focuses on Danica Waterhouse and she is a witch um, and she is co-owner of um, a magical tech fix-it shop with her cousin. So people bring their tech to them whether it be a blender on the fritz a microwave that doesn't work a cell phone that's going nuts they bring it to um fix it with witches for them to repair it people don't know that these girls are witches they live in a town full of what they call mundanes which are just you know us ordinary non-magical muggle folk and um but they they and they just think that the, the name fix it which is is just a cute little gimmick um but really um danica and her cousin um clementine um are witches and they they fix things magically they man, they manipulate the inner workings of whatever is brought to them to make it work and so the Waterhouse family has a bit of turmoil. Um, Danica's grandmother is a firm believer in witches should only be with other witches. That mundanes are useless beings and they coexist with them because they have to, not because they should. Because... Mm -hmm. Mundanes are horrible creatures. Um, she's very focused on the fact that 
they on the Salem witch trials. She's very focused on the fact that they rounded up witches and um and put them to death for for no reason. Um and Danica has grown up thinking that her own mother lost her magic because she fell in love with a mundane. Um, Danica's father is a witch, but that was a very troubled marriage. (laughs) And so they are no longer together. Um, But her mother fell in love with the mundane and she, her grandmother has made her think that her mom has no magic because she lost it because she fell in love with the mundane. And Danica has lived her life thinking this and so has never really entertained the idea of being with someone who's non-magical but she doesn't really want to be with a witch either um not to not for the reasons that her grandmother thinks she should be because her grandmother wants her to continue the magical line and Danica's wants than just a continuation of her bloodline she she wants real love so in comes titus titus is a mundane um he is bisexual and he has been in different relationships but he's starting to feel like he's cursed because he's past 30 and he's still a virgin and he's never been in a long lasting relationship that went anywhere. And all of his partners tend to break up with him for really outlandish reasons, like unbelievable reasons. And one day Um, his oven at his bakery he is the owner of sugar daddies (laughs) Um, I think that's the name of it yeah sugar daddies Um, it's a bakery and one of his ovens goes on the fritz and this is really bad for business because they need all their ovens up and running to keep product you know baking and going into the display cases and the shelves and things of that nature. And so he comes down to fix it, witches, and asks Danica if she could come by and look at his oven and see what he needs to do to have it fixed. Um, when these two meet, there's like an instant chemistry. Um, Danica's magic starts to kind of go on the fritz so it's like literal literal sparks fly um (laughs) there's one scene in the book where she's she's totally smitten with him and things get a little too personal for comfort and she short circuits the whole shop and light bulbs blow and (laughs) just crazy stuff happens um but which was a little funny in the moment but anyway so i mean their their chemistry is just undeniable but there's a problem he's a mundane and danica has been raised to believe that if she gets involved with the mundane she could lose her magic 
Um, that seems like she is. Yes, maybe. She's she's not. It's just she's never had true chemistry with anyone, and um, and it's it's kind of since it's playing with her heart and her head and her emotions that messes with her magic. Um, but she's definitely not losing it. So this this is just such a sweet and funny story um there is some family turmoil mixed in with this for titus and danica um i i really love how danica kind of comes into her own in this book because she eventually grows a backbone where her grandma is concerned and just things unwind in a way that you don't always see coming um so this if you want you know something cute something light but also very heartfelt i highly recommend the fix it witches i've read book one and two and i can't wait to read book three um and start with witch please fix it which is number one by Anne aguirre I love Anna Gary. So my last book this evening is Year of the Reaper by Makaya Lucier. And I apologize to the author if I have said their name incorrectly. So our main character's name is Cass. Um, he's a lord. And he is sent out on a mission for the king and he is captured along with his men and he is put into by so he's captured by enemy forces and he's put into a dingy prison and the plague rolls through oh the plague during this time <laughs> of the plague he loses all of his men. All his men die of the plague. And he's one of the only people to live. He ends up escaping the prison. So getting out of there, he kind of just kind of walks out because everyone's kind of shaken up by the plague. So nobody knows what's going on really. So he just walks out and he goes home. So he heads home to the mountains and he works his way back towards his castle where his brother is hopefully still living. On his way home, he meets a horse thief, or that's what he called her because she steals his, he, he catches her in the process of stealing his horse. And they have this hilarious discussion and she convinces him to let her take the horse and says, I'll leave it in the next town because I need to get home. So her name is Lena. And later we discover that she is the half-sister of the king. So the king's um, father was a bit of a runaround. And so he's got some of the like, kids that are not the king's um, mothers. So Lena, we discover when 
Cass gets to the castle, he everyone is so surprised to see him because they thought he was dead because he's been gone for three years. And they went looking for him and they found no signs of him or his men. So all they knew, they assumed he had died. And then when the plague rolled through, they were pretty sure there was no way he was going to come back. So he goes to a dinner and he sees Lena sitting at the uh, king's table and there's a seat beside her. So he knows that's probably where he's going to have to sit. So he's really surprised because he doesn't know at this time who she is. So as I said, he discovers that she's the king's sister. And when the book first, like when we first joined the book, it's a bit of a prologue. So in the prologue, we have this young girl um, going to meet the king and to marry the king. And the plague is rolling through. So her, a bunch of her men get the plague and she's well at this time. And she's kind of told by her um, royal official that she should keep on going with her lady, like with her best friend, Mara. And a couple of men that are still well and head to the palace because if she doesn't get there in time, then a war might break out. So like, there's just too much going on and she really can't afford not to go through with this marriage. So then we move on to Cassie, to Cass and his whole situation. So that whole prologue will play a role in the story itself. You'll learn more about who that woman was and the story of behind like what's going on in the castle at this time when Cass has rejoined. So somebody gets murdered and Cass and Lena, they spark up a friendship and they decide that they're going to start looking into what happened to this person. Oh, and I forgot to mention, like as Cass is walking into town back to his castle, he looks over and he realizes that there's an archer like kind of up in like this um i don't know if she, up in a window and he looks to see like where is he aiming at right and he discovers that he's aiming at the nurse who's holding the prince so the baby prince and so he ends up rescuing the baby prince and his nurse she ends up getting hit and she falls into the water, but he's able to save her and then saves the little prince. And so that's kind of how the king first discovers that Cass is back and that they found him. So like he's kind of a hero in their eyes, even from like the moment he walks back into uh, back into this world. So this castle that he is back at is actually his own with his brother, as I said, but the royal family is at this castle, at their castle, because they can't get to their own right now. And along with them has come all their enemies. And that's kind of, we now are learning, like trying to figure out like who has killed this person, this other person that they found dead. And through it all, Lena and 
Cass realize that in order to discover what's happening right now, they have to look into the past and figure out like, why is somebody targeting the queen and the people around her? And that, my friends, is where I must leave you. Because it's not a really long book and it's kind of easy to give it away. So this is Year of the Reaper by Makaya Lucier. And again, I hope I said it right. I have seen people um, mention this online. So my final book is Black Girls Must Die Exhausted by Jane Allen. It's part of a three-book series. I've read the first two. I, they're awesome. I'm already ready for the third book, but unfortunately, the author is not ready for me to have it. <laughs> um, and this book has some really... Like it's very appropriate for the times because it takes place now, and um, there are some really, there are a couple of scenes in it that really, or, or plot lines in it that are really quite awesome. Um, there's a a time when uh, Tabitha, who we follow in this book, decides that she wants to wear her hair like. She is a black woman. She's tired of wearing it like she's on TV. So she's, she, they, you know, she's a reporter and she's tired of looking like a white reporter. She's done with that. She wants to take her identity. So she starts wearing, she gets it cut and she gets it styled. And then she, the, the complaints start coming in from people who don't want to look at her with hair like that they like the old image and so she has this huge struggle with her boss and with her colleagues and almost loses her job and there's a lot of fighting for that and then there's another thing in the beginning of this first book that really impacted me before I do the actual like some of other what this book is about there is a point in the beginning of the book where she's just found out some very traumatic news and she's driving to work and she's driving very erratically and a cop wants her to pull over and she is absolutely terrified and i've never i know that that it's hard for black people to get stopped by the police it's it's deadly for them to get stopped by the police we see that but this this author was so in her head took you so into her thoughts and into her fear and her terror it just i was just sobbing because i i hated seeing how scary she had dropped her purse on the floor and she was afraid to reach for anything and you could the thoughts that were going around in her head you know he's he's going to think i have a gun and and i don't have a gun and he's going to think i'm going to shoot him and he's going to shoot me first and i don't know what to do and it just she you're in her head she goes on like that for for minutes and he's just trying to you know be be pretty reasonable and and he at one point finally says i can't believe that it's come to this i can't believe that 
people have to be that you have to be that afraid of me and and it but it's true it's like they do and and so those were just a couple of scenes that really spell out how hard it is to be a black woman in today's society so tabitha walker who we follow is like got everything pretty much she's got a good boyfriend she's got a great job She's got very good friends in her life and she wants, she has a down payment saved up on a house and she wants nothing more than to have children. She longs to be a mother. Only she finds out that she has a condition that makes it so she's going to run out of eggs in a few months and she's going to go into early menopause. And she is devastated by that news, which is where she ends up, how she ends up driving into the uh, trouble with the with the policeman. So she doesn't know what to do. She finds she she explores what she can do through science, and she talks with her friends. And like every Saturday, she she goes to the stylist and gets her hair done. But every Friday night, she goes to this, um, her grandmother, who she absolutely adores, lives in a transitional living situation. So she has her own place, but as she gets uh, less able to care for herself, she can move on into more of a, a care situation. But right now she's still living on her own and she has a 93-year-old best friend. And Miss Gretchen is just awesome. She's flirting with people. She nothing stops her. She's running around like she was like 40. And so these women have a lot of advice for Tabitha, a lot of support and love to give Tabitha. And so she really tests the limits of science and what and her boyfriend she he doesn't really want to commit to having children but she really wants it to be him that she does this with and so you just see a lot of of struggles and a lot of heart and a lot of laughter um and her grandmother has a line that she always says she believes that black women must die exhausted and tabitha begins by the end of this first book to think that that line is probably really true for a lot of reasons that that really is what must have to happen so i really really love these books and uh again this is black girls must die exhausted which is book one of the series by the same name and it is by jane allen and I think the third one comes out in January of 23. Yay, I'll be waiting. And would anyone mind if I muted and went home at this point? I'll still be listening, but my I'm on an uncomfortable couch and I'm ready oh, to yes. be home. But I, yes. I'm just going to mute so that I don't end up being too close to Shannon or talking and stuff. Oh, yes, and so. making it echo weirdly. I think they're asleep anyway. Did they, they no, go I'm, away? I'm no, they're not. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I am here. All right. So that's what I'm going to do is mute. All right.
So my last book tonight is Night Crawling by Layla Motley. This is Night Crawling, one word. Um, This is set in Oakland. Our protagonist is a young woman named Kira. She is 17, almost 18. She lives with her older brother in this very rundown apartment. And she finds out at the beginning of the book that her rent has like almost doubled. And she has no idea what they're going to do because her brother, Marcus, has this dream that he's going to be a famous rapper one day. But there's a problem with this. And that is that he is not very good at rapping. Uh Uh-oh. And so, you know, this just does not seem very likely, right? Like he's not going to get discovered. He's not going to make a bunch of money. But for some reason, Kira can't get him to see that. She, you know, tries to convince him and he just says, you know, that she doesn't want him to like succeed and she's, you know, just trying to like crush him. And she says, no, you know, I just want you to help me like pay the rent. She needs his help um, to, to keep them afloat. And he just doesn't seem to, to grasp this. He just keeps saying, oh, but, you know, once I once I get discovered, you know, everything will be fine. Like, we'll have all this money. We don't have to worry. And she's like, yeah, but what do we do until then? So she's really, you know, trying to figure out like how they're going to survive. And then there's this nine-year-old boy who lives next door to her, like in the next apartment. And his mom has pretty much abandoned him. And so not only is she trying to keep a roof over her head and her brother's head, she's also trying to take care of this little boy because she doesn't want him to necessarily like go into foster care. You know, she doesn't know like what would happen to him if he did. So one night she's out and she has kind of a drunken like misunderstanding with a man on the street. And through that, she sort of dips her toe into the world of prostitution. And she doesn't like it. It, It's not something that she ever thought she'd have to do. It's not something that she's proud of, but it is something that keeps her bills paid for a while. Now, Mm. what you don't necessarily know right away is that some of her customers are police officers in the city of Oakland, where she lives. And they are like, they'll, you know, make contact with her and say they need her to show up at this certain like event that a bunch of off-duty police officers are going to be at. And sometimes she won't want to do this, but now they have a lot of power over her because, you know, they can um, put her in jail for being a prostitute. And so she's kind of, you know, in a, like in a very bad spot with all of this. When people in authority kind of find out that there are police officers who are engaging in this behavior, they decide, of course, that they need to do something about this. And they decide that the only way to do it is to bring Kira to sort of the the forefront of this scandal. And her name is released to the media. um, And this makes a whole different kind of trouble for her and her brother and her friends. Um, This is a look at 
sort of the the power differential between the police and marginalized individuals, especially marginalized women. Um, it's, I have to say, not a very hopeful book. Like you won't come away from this feeling very good about the world that we live in and, and the state of our justice system. But I think it is a very, very important read um, especially for those of us who have been raised to view the police as sort of this benevolent, uh, you know, kind and, and helpful force of people. Um, and that is unfortunately not always the case for, for people in our communities. Um, this is Nightcrawling by Layla Motley. It came out at the end of June and I think it's just very, very powerful and important. Wow, it, it does sound pretty good. Yeah, it, it's a book about like not really having good choices. Like, you know, there's no choice that she could really make in this situation that would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just sort of shows like all of the ways in which the system like is seeming to to work against her and you can end for us on sort of a a more hopeful note I think because you have a delightful romance for us I do and I saved what I consider the best for last year because this is a very recent release I believe it came out just in the last couple of weeks yeah july 5th i think yeah um this is heated burned incorporated book one by naima simone and i love naima simone her rosebin series has been beautiful um i love her for her diversity um for her the way that she writes the troubles that marginalized or I guess minorities, I'm not sure what the right word would be here. um, People face when they, um, especially black women or um, Puerto Rican or, you know, even, even white people it's just like it her diversity is is all over and she's and she doesn't sugarcoat um so heated is about zora and cyrus zora and her brother and her sister own a company that they started together and it is a breakup service (laughs) and so Um, When people want to have a clean breakup, but they don't want to be the ones to do it, they come to Zora's company and Zora helps them devise a plan and execute it for a breakup. And that's exactly what she does for a young woman named Valerie. Valerie is a very high-floating person. society person i believe she's a lawyer um yeah i'm pretty sure she's a lawyer and she has 
been dating this uh, entertainment lawyer, but she wants to break up with him now because she feels that he is more focused on his work and advancement and doesn't really truly love her or have the time she would like for him to have for her. And so she comes to Zora, who she really kind of looks down upon because of the type of company she has, for one, even though she needs her services. And where the, the, the business is located, she considers this area to be beneath her, even though it is a um, up-and-coming business district. Um, because it's called five points and you know, what kind of connotation five points typically has for most places. So, um, Valerie wants to break up with Cyrus Hart. And so she sits down with Zora and they come up with this plan that Valerie will write Cyrus a letter and Zora will be the one to deliver it and read it to him, essentially breaking up with Cyrus for Valerie, and Valerie never has to see him again. And she asks Valerie to show her a picture so that she makes sure that she is breaking up with the right guy. Oh, well, that, that's good. It is. But the first time she sees his picture on Valerie's phone, she is dumbstruck (laughs) because he is an absolutely gorgeous man and she can't understand why Valerie would want to break up with such a gorgeous man and she's like you want to break up with him and (laughs) kind of like what's wrong with you (laughs) but Valerie is persistent so Zora does her job um she breaks up with him and then she you know moves on with her life and her business but one night while she is at a restaurant in the midst of another breakup with this guy that is very domineering he has anger issues and he's starting to take this breakup out on Zora And he's getting rather belligerent and possibly a little violent, even though they're in a public place. And Cyrus happens to be at this restaurant. And it's a nice, fancy restaurant. That's part of um, the breakup package that this person bought. And he comes over when he realizes this guy is getting irate and essentially tells him that the date is over and he can go now. Um, because he's being an arse and he takes the guy's seat and Zora is a little dumbfounded and she's got all these butterflies going on and she's like I can't have anything to do with this guy he's a client's ex that's a conflict of interest and if it got back to Valerie that could create a lot of issues for my business and blah 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 There's also another thing going on with Zora. Zora is a black woman. Um, Cyrus is a white, a white man. And 
Zora is not his, what she seems to think is his go-to woman. She's, she's tall and she's beautiful in her own right, but she's what she calls, she's thick and she's black and she's not high society. Um, Cyrus is white. He's a lawyer. He's rich. He's everything she's not. And she just doesn't think that he could even go for someone like her. But what she doesn't realize is he is very much interested in her. And Cyrus has always planned out his life. He planned to make a marriage of convenience that would get him in with the right people, help him advance in his career and in the firm he is a part of. And Valerie was a big part of that. And when she breaks up with him the way she does, it kind of sends his plan into a tailspin. And so he comes to Zora and proposes that they have a fake relationship. Yay! Yes. Because he needs a girlfriend to accompany him on a retreat that his boss has made mandatory because this retreat will decide who becomes partner in the firm. And this part of Cyrus's plan is to become partner in this firm. What he doesn't exactly count on and neither does Zora is that during this fake relationship, things become more real than they expect them to. But everything could be torn apart by something, some information that she has withheld from him, meaning that she owns the business that broke up with him. Oh, because he he doesn't realize that she owns that business or that it even was a business. He thinks that Valerie got a friend of hers to break up with for her. And so things can get a little twisty here, but this book is so good. Um, You see Zora kind of fighting with who she is and fighting with the fact that she can't believe that someone like Cyrus could fall in love with her or want her for her because of who and what she is. Um, And... Cyrus has always just lived by his plan. Falling in love was really never part of it. He didn't love Valerie. She was just the means to an end. But he's quickly learning that that's not what life is really all about. And there's so much more to him than living based off of a plan that honestly at this point makes makes no sense. So there was so much to this book. Um, so many heartfelt moments. You see some family turmoil. You see the whole reason that Zora and her siblings created this business. It's based off of her own family dynamic. Um, her, their parents do not approve of, of their business choices, but <laughs> they just are what they are. I love her brother, Levi. He is epically amazing he just has this um 
indifference to his parents and he's just kind of fed up with their crap um but i can't wait for the next books in this series this was so amazing and i knew it would be because naima writes so well um so this is heated burned incorporated book one it just recently came out and you must go pick it up now it is by naima simone I was really excited about this when Stacy talked about it um, in June or no, no, well, at the end of June for um, our most anticipated releases of July episode. So this is one that I definitely need to pick up. Yes, yes, you do. And that brings us to the end of this Authors of Color episode. Thank you to Christine, Brooke and Kristen for coming up with fantastic books for tonight. And as always, when Christine is on the podcast, she gets double thanks for her participation and her editing. Yes. And we thank each and every one of you for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.